0: Thanks, guys. Thanks, Charles. I always know you cheer for me. How are you guys doing? Good. Hey, before I get started, I just want to tell you about one more thing. Um, You've probably, if you've been at the church for a little bit, you've probably heard us talk about Vineyard Institute. We started it about a year ago. Um, I just want to take a moment to tell you how amazing this program is. Uh, Vineyard Institute basically gets... uh, professors and theologians and pastors from all around the world, and and brings them in to to teach these seminary-level courses for a a fraction of the price. Um, You know, it's it's, it's an amazing opportunity for our church to have some brilliant, brilliant people teach courses to help further our development as leaders and and just uh, followers of Christ So we are about to start our next quarter shortly. Um, Next week, we're going to have an informational meeting where we're going to be answering all the the price questions and and time commitment questions and stuff like that. Um, But if you are interested in developing your understanding about the Bible and Christianity and and really growing your faith, I highly encourage you to get get involved with Vineyard Institute. Um, We have a sign-up out on the info counter, if you just want to sign your name and, and your email address, I'll send you some information. If you want to show up next week to the, to the info meetings, it's going to be after the Saturday night service and at 11 o'clock in between the two Sunday services. So yeah, I don't have time to go super in-depth about what it is, but please, if, if that kind of grabs your heart a little bit, um, do some investigating, and in I, I think it's an amazing program. So well, um, to, to start off, I, I want to tell you guys a story. Um, when I was a kid, I think I was 10 years old, my best friend was my, my cousin, Justin, and we were, we were little troublemakers, but I, re- I remember one time, Justin came over to my house, and he had brought a package of Pop-Tarts, and I, I, I haven't had Pop-Tarts in a long time, but at the, back then, they used to come in packages of two. Do they still? Okay. Okay. So there, there was two of them. And I thought, this is perfect. There's one for you and one for me. And so I said, Justin, can I have the, your, your extra Pop-Tart? And, and as, as a loving cousin, he said, no, that's, this is my Pop-Tart. Um, and so, you know, I begged and I you know, was just like, come on, man, I'd give you mine and blah, blah, blah. And he just continued and continued to refuse. Um, so I had this brilliant idea. I said, look, if you give me your second Pop-Tart, I will give you my Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Now, at the time, the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card was worth about $30. Um, so it was, it was a really bad deal at the time. Um, but I had a secret. I had no intention of giving him the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But he, he obliged, and he, get, he gave me the Pop-Tart, and I ate it. And, and then uh, later on, when he went to go collect uh, his side of, of our bargain, I was like, what are you... No, I'm not giving you that baseball card. You're crazy. Um, and it just started to escalate, and our parents got involved. And my parents said, you know, JT, you gotta, you gotta be, your word is important, and you made a commitment. you got to give them the baseball card. And so I did. And, and today that baseball card is worth hundreds of dollars. And I always remember back about when I, I traded, you know, hundreds of... I, I basically paid, a, like, hundreds of dollars for a Pop-Tart. Um, LAUGHTER and so we're actually going to be talking about a story this morning that's actually pretty similar to that. And we're going to uh, begin a, be looking at some truths that the Lord has for us in that story. Um, but just to recap, we've been going through this patriarch series, which is kind of a, a series that's looking at the fathers of our faith. We're looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob predominantly, and then, and then some, some other side characters in that. Um, but if you remember, Abraham... was was called by God. God came to Abraham and basically said, you know what, Abraham? You are gonna be a father to a a nation that's gonna bless the whole world. And I'm gonna bless you um, in in so many ways, but you are gonna bless the world. And it was this amazing promise that he gave to him. But there was one problem. Abraham and his wife Sarah uh, couldn't have children. And so you imagine Abraham's name, Abram at the time, meant father, and he must have been very embarrassed that his name was father, and he, and he couldn't have children, and then God actually made it a little worse. He said, I'm changing your name, Abram, and Abram was like, great, finally, and he said, I'm going to make your name father of many, and he was like, oh, no, that's worse, but so so Abraham and Sarah finally, they finally were able to have a kid. They had Isaac. They were about 100 years old, and they finally had Isaac, and he was, he was the child they, they were promised, and, uh, and we, we talked about Isaac growing up. And last week, remember, we talked about how Isaac um, met his wife, Rebecca, And that's where we kind of left off. And to, to, to catch you up to where we are now, um, Abraham and Sarah end up passing away. And Isaac, he doesn't do a whole lot, but he and, and Rebecca have the same problem that Abraham and Sarah have. They can't have children. And so they try for about 20 years, and finally they get pregnant. And they end up getting pregnant with twins. And it's a very uh, tumultuous, very uh, intense pregnancy. It it said that they were like they were fighting in her womb um, because she she, she was pregnant with twins. And and the Lord actually spoke over them and said, You actually have two nations inside of your womb. You have two nations inside of your womb. And they're always going to be at odds. There's always going to be conflict between them. And actually, the youngest son is going to rule over the oldest son. And there's some debate within the theological community of whether or not that was a promise from God or it was a warning from God. But either way, it was true that they were always going to be at odds. So they end up having these two sons, uh, Esau, the oldest one, and Jacob, who was the youngest one. And it was true, right? Right from the birth, it said that Jacob was grabbing onto Esau's, Esau's foot, his heel, so they were, from the time they were in the womb, they were at odds with one another. So we're going to be looking at a story uh, as they have grown up a little bit. But if you want to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25, and um, let me just pray and invite the Lord, and we'll, we'll, we'll get, into the, get into the text. Lord, I just invite you here this morning. Let me thank you for just a, a wonderful time of worship. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We pray that you speak to us this morning, and I just pray that I can clearly communicate the the message that you've put on my heart. In your name, amen. So we're going to start in in, in chapter 25, verse 27. So it says, the boys grew up, and Esau, the oldest, became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob, the younger, was, was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that's why he was called Edom. Edom means red. Um, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So this is a pretty messed up story. Um, Sometimes we read stories and they're comparisons and contrasts where there's a good guy and a bad guy there's like kind of two bad guys in this story two people who are making just not really good decisions Um, but we already see major dysfunction in this family don't we you know rebecca loves jacob but isaac loves esau and that's kind of that's a messed up uh way to start your family and, 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 and uh, Jacob and Esau like, are at odds with one another. There's major, major dysfunction going on. And it says that Esau was a hunter, and Jacob stayed at home. Esau went off to hunt, and he came back, and it said he was super hungry. He was really, really hungry. And he actually was saying he was going to die of hunger. Most people think that was just a figure of speech. But he was very, very hungry. And he comes to Jacob, who was making some stew, and says, Please, give me some of that stew. And Jacob, as like a good brother would, says, Sell me your birthright for it. And the crazy thing is Esau, Esau agrees. Esau says, Okay, we'll do it. Esau sold his birthright or his inheritance to his younger brother for a bowl of stew. And listen, this is, let me tell you just what his birthright was. As the oldest son, what you were guaranteed to was you would get a double portion of wealth and inheritance and land and all of the stuff than any of the other brothers would. So you would get a double portion. And remember, this family was an extremely wealthy family. And the second thing that you would receive is you would be the head of the family. You received position. You were, you were the one who was in charge. You were the one who was calling the shots. And also remember, this was a very important uh, influential family. And thirdly, and, and, and maybe most importantly, you would receive a blessing from your father. And remember, the blessing was one that was handed down from Abraham. This was very important. This blessing had, had tons of significance. And so Esau traded all of this stuff all of this amazing stuff for, for some stew. I mean, it must have been some, some really good stew, right? But if you're like me, you're thinking this doesn't make any sense. Why would someone trade their inheritance that is of such great value for, for something of, for, of so little value? I mean, I'd understand if it was a Pop-Tart, but still not. But what I want us to see, and hopefully we can tease out a little bit, is that each and every one of us do this on a consistent basis. We all do this. So, so let's jump in. The issue um, or, or the theme of inheritance is, is one that's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible. In fact, most scholars would say that the, the theme of, of inheritance is one of the core themes of the Bible. You know, really, in that, in that culture, birthrights and inheritance was extremely important. And it is in today's culture, too. Inheritance is really important. You know, my father-in-law is an estate lawyer, so he, I mean, he, he has no shortage of clients. He's always dealing with issues of inheritance and wills. But in this culture, um, the ancient Near East, it was extremely important. Your, your, your birthright, your family position was huge. And if we read through Scripture, you see lots and lots of stories um, about inheritance and, and, and people and their birthrights. But also, what we see is a narrative that goes throughout the Bible, this thread that runs throughout the Bible of us, the people of God, being adopted into a family and becoming sons and daughters and people that have an inheritance, people that are heirs. See, we are not simply just members of a religion. We are sons and daughters. We are called a family. We have an inheritance. Just like Esau, we have a birthright. And in fact, the birthright is, is, is the same as Esau's. You know, Galatians um, has a huge chunk in it that kind of deals with this. But if you look at Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to take a verse, verse 29. It says, now that you belong to Christ, us, now that we belong to Christ, you are the true, the true children of of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We are the heirs of Abraham. We have an inheritance. We have a birthright. And that's exciting. Um, you know, we have an inheritance that rightfully belongs to us. We're going to talk about what that inheritance is in a moment. But there's something we need to be aware of. Like I said earlier, just like Esau, we are giving away our birthright. We give away our birthright. We are giving away what the Lord has promised us for much, much less. And if you don't believe me, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Look what it says. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we do wrong, we are essentially giving away our inheritance. When we we do wrong, we're giving it away. The Bible makes it really clear over and over again, not in just this verse, but all over the Bible. It says that the Lord has an inheritance for us, but when we disobey him, we lose our inheritance. We are trading in our inheritance. Just like Esau traded in his birthright for stew. You know, one thing I often hear about Christianity, and and something that I say too, is that, you know, Christianity is more than just a set of rules. It's more than just a religion. It's a relationship, right? Most of us have heard that, that Christianity is a relationship. And and when we think of a relationship, we typically think of Jesus as our buddy. As our friend, and that is that is true, that he is our friend. But one of our, our primary relationships with Jesus is that he is our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. And what that means, if someone is your Lord, it means that they are your boss. And he is calling us to be obedient. This is what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord. We are saying you call the shots. We say, nothing in my life is off limits. Not my time, uh, my money, not my behavior, not my attitudes, not my sexuality. There is nothing that's off limits to you, God. You you have free reign to, 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 to say whatever you want, and I will follow you. But if we're honest, all of us would say that occasionally we're disobedient. Actually, if we're honest, we'd say we're disobedient quite a bit. And the Bible, do you know what the, re- the Bible refers to this as? Who knows? Sin, sin, this is sin. When we are disobedient, it is sin. And I know sin is a, it's a dirty word. It's a word that we don't like to talk about. But Jesus and the Bible seems to talk about it a lot. So I think that, that we should as well. You know, the actual translation of the Greek word sin is an archery term, and it actually means to miss the mark. So if you think about it that way, what sin is, is if God is right here, if his purpose is, and what he's calling us to do is right here, sin is missing it. Sin is is doing something other than that. Sin is missing the mark. And the Bible uh, makes it really clear that we all sin. We all miss the mark. Over and over again, it tells us that. And, and just before I go on, let me just say this to put you at ease. This is not a fire and brimstone, doom and gloom message. It's really not. So, so stick with me. Um, but let, so let's talk a little bit about what our inheritance is. What is our inheritance? Now, I really think we can barely scratch the surface of our inheritance. You know, we can barely just touch the, the surface level of the m- amazing inheritance that we have. You know, the promises and blessings that that God promises us in the Bible is overwhelming. I encourage you, look through the Bible at all the blessings that that God promises us. It's amazing. It's overwhelming. And, you know, I'm going to go through three major ones that kind of like are the overarching themes. And the first thing that we get as our inheritance is a big one. The first thing that we get is we get him. We get relationship with God. This is huge. You know, the Bible says that we have been separated from God, that our sin separated us from God. It says that we are enemies of God. But now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, it says that we, that we are in relationship with him. We are, in, we are family, that our relationship with God has been restored. I love how Paul says it in Romans. He says in chapter 5, he says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful uh, new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We are now friends of God. That means he speaks to us. He guides us. He loves us. He grows us. He rescues us. He empowers us. And, and He's with us. He is with us. That's amazing. I loved last week when Michael was saying, you know, in the midst of the, our, our chaotic lives, in the midst of just when everything is crumbling and, and we look to God and we just want Him to rescue us, most of the time, what we really, really need, like deep down, is not for Him to come and rescue us. What we really need is, is a deeper realization that he is with us because he is. The first thing that we get is that we get God. So moving on, the second thing that we get, the second thing that the Bible says that we inherit um, is the kingdom of God. We inherit the kingdom. You know, we talk about the kingdom of God a lot in this church. And it's really because... Um, that's what Jesus talked about the most, was the kingdom of God. He was constantly saying, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is coming, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And, it's, and I believe it's the, it's the theme of the whole Bible, it's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God. It's God's good purposes that, 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 that he has for us. And we get to be a part of it. We inherit the kingdom of God. Matthew 25, 34 says, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We inherit the kingdom. And we often think of the kingdom of God as heaven, right? We think of the kingdom of God as heaven. And it is. It is heaven. But that's the beauty of it. It's heaven breaking into this world that we live in today. It's heaven breaking into earth right now. And that's why we get to see healings. That's why we, we see addictions being, being broken. And that's why we see marriages that are falling apart being restored. It's the kingdom of God. And we get to be a part of that. We need to realize that part of our inheritance is that we get to be a part of that. And going along with that, we, we also need to realize that this kingdom is eternal. eternal. It's an eternal kingdom. We get to spend eternity with Jesus in this good kingdom where there's no fear, there's no pain, no sorrow. We get to spend eternity with Jesus. And I wish I could dive deeper into this, but the word eternal, it just just—it—it doesn't just mean unending in time, but it means unending in depth and, and width. It is... It is Let me put it this way. It is bigger and more wonderful than you can even imagine. Think of the best thing in the world. Think about the thing in this world or the person or the place or the whatever that brings you the most joy, the most peace. Think about the thing that makes you the most happy. And and, and the kingdom of God, this eternal kingdom, is, is, is eternally better than that. So moving on, the next part of the promise of our inheritance is that that our core longings are fulfilled. Here's what I mean by that. Those deep yearnings that that we all have. Those things deep inside of us. You know, those, those, those who am I questions. Why am I here? You know, that desire to be known and to be loved. Um, people have broken those into th- to three categories: identity, purpose, and security. God comes to fulfill those longings inside of us. We all want identity. We all want to know who am I? Who am I? Who do you say I am? Second, we want purpose. We want to know what we were made for, what we we're supposed to be doing. And third, we want security. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be safe. Those are the core longings. And part of our inheritance is that God comes and, and gives us those things. That's, it's, it's amazing. Look at, I mean, look at throughout the Bible. But Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. God is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. And not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Essentially what he's saying to Jeremiah is, I know who you are. I know what you're supposed to be doing. And and you're going to be safe with me. And this is what he says over and over again through scripture. To to Moses, to Abraham, to David, to, to Paul. This is what he says to us. You know, this was life changing for me when I realized this that God says to me, I know who you are, Jay. He calls me Jay. He says, I know who you are. And I have plans for you. And I've shared this before, but every morning when I wake up, I have this really simple prayer where I basically just say, God, who, who do you say I am? Who am I? And God, what, what do you want me to do today? It's, it's him filling those core longings. And I really believe some of us are here this morning and we desperately have uh, a, a desire to have those those longings fulfilled like what, what am i supposed to be doing in my life god wants to come and meet you in that place and that's part of our inheritance so if our inheritance is so wonderful if it's so amazing why do we trade it in why do we trade in our inheritance Why do we choose sin instead of God? To understand, I think we need to look a little closer at what sin actually is. You know, we typically think of sin as like God setting up these cosmic kind of arbitrary rules, right? That if we break them, we sin, right? It's a set of rules that if we break, we're sinning. But really, I think the deep issue of sin is this. It's we're trying to fill those core longings that we have uh, someplace other than God. You know, we may choose sex, we may choose drugs, and we may may choose selfish ambition, or or anything really, but sin is trying to fill these these longings in our hearts somewhere else besides God. St. Augustine puts it this way. He says, sin is looking for the right thing in the wrong place. I like that. Sin is looking for the right thing in the wrong place. You know, we're looking uh, to sex to feel some longing in our heart, to make us feel connected. Those longings, that that desire to feel connected is, is of God, but we're looking in the wrong place. You know, we want purpose, we want significance. So, so we lie and we, we steal and we cheat to get ahead. Because we want significance. And there's, God put that desire in our heart to want to have significance, to want to have purpose. But we're looking in the wrong place. You know, or, or the desire for justice. When someone wrongs us, we want justice. So we hold on to that and we develop unforgiveness and bitterness. There's nothing wrong with a desire for justice. That is a longing in our heart, but we are looking in the wrong place for it. Sin is looking for good things, identity, purpose, security, and looking for them in the wrong place. And here's the truth. We may be looking in really good places, but we're not looking to God. But we may be looking in really good places, like, like family, or, or career, or our spouse, or 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 even our ministry to give us identity, security, and purpose. But none of those things, none of those things are able to give it to us. You know, it may work for a little bit. Like if I look to my family, if I look to my, my wife and my daughter, who I deeply, deeply love, to give me identity, which I oftentimes do. Like if my identity is in the fact that I'm a good husband or that I'm a good father, what happens if I get a phone call um, today that my wife and daughter got into a car accident? Then do I lose my identity? No. We can't find our identity in our family. You know, or I look at, at Jake or my mom who just got into these horrible Um, auto accidents. And, And thank the Lord, they are pulling through, and they are doing really well. But if they found their purpose in ministry, if they found their purpose in being pastors, then if they didn't pull through, would that mean that they don't have any purpose? Of course not. When we look to these things of this earth, even if they're wonderful things to give us identity, security, and purpose, they're always going to let us down. That's why God says you can only find them in me. You see, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And the reason he tells us about sin is not so that we have to live by these arbitrary rules. It's so that we can thrive. So that we can thrive. See, when we say Jesus is Lord, when we say I will follow you, it's not that he wants to hold us down and, and live by these harsh rules. He wants, he wants us to live life to the fullest. And he knows that these things are, are not going to bring you life. I will bring you life. He knows that all those things will eventually let us down in some capacity. But he never will. He is the rock. They may be able to sustain us for periods of time, but eventually every earthly thing will let us down in some way. And God wants to fill those longings in our heart, and he's the only place that can fill them consistently. And the the truth of that is, too, I can enjoy my wife a lot more when I'm not trying to get something out of her that she was never designed to give me. When I'm not trying to put unfair expectations on her to give me purpose or identity. And the same goes with our our kids. The same goes with our careers. That's a big one in our culture. We need to stop trying to find our sense of of purpose, our sense of identity from our our career. Because it won't give us security or purpose or identity. And we need to stop telling our kids to find a career that's going to give them purpose. Because it won't. Only God will give them purpose. So even though God is offering us so much, we keep on going to other things for fulfillment. And just like Esau had an amazing inheritance, he chose a bowl of stew over his inheritance. And we are willing to give up our inheritance for far less as well. You know, I think if we look at Esau, there are two things that we can see um, why he gave it up. And the first thing is obvious, but the first thing that we see is he was incredibly short-sighted. All he cared about is what was in the moment. All he cared about was his present circumstance. He he couldn't see further than that. And this is one of the most appealing things about sin, is sin generally has an immediate gratification. We immediately uh, get get the, the substance out of sin. And the promises of God sometimes takes long periods of time to, to, to really come to fruition. But sin, we can get it now. And, you know, I've justified a lot of things in my life. You know, saying, I don't really care about long-term ramifications of this. I just want this now. Our culture just breeds into this too, doesn't it? Just says everything is immediate, like, If if you are at an ATM machine and you have to wait more than three seconds, you're like, oh my gosh. Or if your Wi-Fi is a little slow, we're like, this is the worst day of my life. Not even thinking about the fact that, you know, a few years ago we didn't have Wi-Fi, but we are so impatient, aren't we? And sometimes it's not even that we're making a conscious decision to trade in what's in the future. It's just we're not even thinking about it. We are just so focused on now. What can I get now? How can I get uh, pleasure now? We're so conditioned to get what we want when we want it. We need to be aware of this. We need to think about the future, and we we need to remind ourselves about the promises that we have, our inheritance. So that's the first reason. The first reason we choose sin is because of its immediate gratification. The second reason, really the big one to me, is is we don't really know God. Like, we don't really know him. You know, the Bible says that Esau was godless, meaning that he didn't really know God. And I'm convinced that if we knew God, we wouldn't turn to anything else. Here's what I mean by that. Like, if we really knew how good God is, like how much he loves you, how in control he is, how powerful he is, we, we would trust him completely. But generally, we don't trust him, do we? Like we don't think he's good. We don't think he's looking out for us. We don't think he cares. We think he's too busy. Or maybe we think that his, you know, his ways don't make sense anymore. Or maybe not, they just don't make sense for me. He doesn't get the situation I'm in. But if we only knew how smart he is, how wonderful he is, how good he is, man, you know, the deepest issue in why we sin is because we don't know him. And this is why when I meet with people who are dealing with like a, a, a habitual sin, like some kind of sin that they can't get over, you know, I, I might give them some guidelines and, and, and things that they can do to make things easier, but the key is not trying harder. The key is not, like, muscling through it. And, you know, you know stop doing that and start trying harder. What I tell them is they need, to, they need to spend more time with Jesus. They need to get to know Jesus better. Because there is nothing as sweet as Jesus. And when you get a taste of how sweet he is, you don't turn to other things as much. I promise obedience comes out of getting to know him better. I promise you that. It's all throughout scripture. This is, and this is why we do church. This is why we gather here and sing the songs we do about his great love and, and, and his power. And, and, and this is why we, we, we you know, have sermons talking about who God is. So we can be reminded of how good he is. And how strong he is. And how powerful and how faithful he is. And this is why it's so important to read our Bibles. Not because it's a rule that we need to read our Bibles, because it reminds us of his faithfulness, of his character. Tells us more about him. But ultimately, this is why in this church we stress so much about getting into the presence of God. We talk about the power of his Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, the best way to, to get to know God is to spend time with him. No, if I want to invest in my relationship with my wife, I don't read her diary. I might learn a little bit about her. And I'll probably learn that she doesn't like me reading her diary. (laughs) But if I want to invest in my relationship with my wife, what do I do? I spend time with her. I talk with her. I listen to her. I ask her questions. I spend time with her. And that's what God wants us to do. Because the truth is, is we are in a battle, guys. There's a battle happening right now. And we have an enemy that's constantly lying to us about who God is. And about who we are. And about where we need to go to, to meet the longings in our heart. I mean, when I really sit down, when we really sit down and think about Esau, and we think about why he chose the stew over in his heritage, over the inheritance do you really think the stew was that good or do you think he was believing a lie that his inheritance didn't matter or that he wasn't going to ever really get it anyways or whatever it was he was believing a lie but we need to realize when we are believing these lies when we are saying i'm going to forsake what god has for me for this we're believing a lie we need to say i am being deceived We need to remind ourselves that. Maybe we're being lied to by Satan. Maybe we're being lied to by culture. Or maybe we're being lied to by our flesh. But nonetheless, we're being lied to and we're believing it. Our inheritance is so much more amazing than anything else that we we, we choose to turn to. I like how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer at a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're so willing to, to give up this amazing inheritance for, for, for so little. It's not that God is like, oh, that's too good. Don't go over there. It's like, no, that's so weak. I have so much more for you. So let let me wrap up with this. You know, we see that uh, Esau, you know, he lost this great inheritance that he had. And that if we sin, which we all have, we lose our inheritance that's a bummer, right? So a lot of us are sitting here thinking, you know, I'm just like Esau. I've lost this great promise that the Lord has for me. You feel really discouraged. But let me tell you another story about a guy and his inheritance in the Bible. You know, Jesus told this story to some of his followers, and it was a story about a father and his sons. And one of his sons comes to the father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want it now. Give it to me now. And the father obliges. He gives him the inheritance. And the son goes off and he, you know, he starts spending it on all kinds of things. And he ends up blowing it all. He ends up losing his entire inheritance. And this was a wealthy family. And he lost everything. And it gets to the point where he's so devastated, he's so discouraged, he's so hopeless, that he ends up living in, in a pigsty and eating with the pigs, and if, which sounds horrible to us, but if you were back in Jewish culture at that time, it was even worse. And he was so hopeless, and he, he gets this idea and he thinks, you know, I know I can never become a son again, I know I blew it too big, but maybe I can go back and, and, and become a slave or a servant to my father. So he turns around and starts heading home. And he gets, he gets close and his father sees him. His father runs out to meet him. He Grabs him close. He holds him close. And he says, no, you can't come back and be my servant. You can come back and be my son. You are my child. You are my beloved. Welcome back to the family. And in fact, you know what? We are going to throw the biggest celebration for you. We're going to get our best wine. We're going to grab the best food and we're going to celebrate that my beloved son has returned. So how do we reclaim our inheritance? All we have to do is we have to do what that son did. We just need to turn back towards towards our father. Because our father will, will welcome us back. He will embrace us. And his riches and his wealth is, 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 is infinite. So we may have blown our inheritance. We, we regularly blow our inheritance, but you know what? Our father says, I have more where that came from. I have, I, have, I have so much more for you. See, Esau blew his inheritance and it was done. It was gone. It was no more. But if we lose our inheritance, God says, I got plenty more where that came from. Let's come on back. It's infinite, guys. That's the beauty of the gospel, that there's nothing that we can do to, that, that will lose what God has for us. God has the kingdom of God for us, God has Him for us, and we can't lose that. It's a promise. This doesn't mean there's not consequences to our sins. There are consequences to, you know, sometimes we have to live with the effects of our sin and we have to deal with the consequences. And it doesn't mean that God is going to give us everything we've ever wanted either. And it also doesn't mean that we don't need to be obedient. We need to be obedient. God is calling us to obedience. It just means when we blow it, when we miss the mark, you know, whether it's just barely, whether it's one of those small little ones, where we don't think anyone noticed, where it's one of those big ones where it's completely affected our lives and the lives around us. He welcomes us back into the family as his sons and daughters, as as heirs. And he says, your inheritance, I have more for you. Let Let me end with this quote by Henry Nowen. He, he was talking about the prodigal son, and, and this is the conclusion that he came, came to. He says, yet over and over again I have left home. I have fled the hands of blessing and run off to faraway places to search for love. This is the great tragedy of my life and of the lives of so many I meet on my journey. Somehow I have become deaf to the voice that calls me the Beloved. And I've left the only place where I can hear that voice. And I've gone off to desperately hoping that I would find it somewhere else. To find what I can no longer find at home. I have left it and I keep on leaving it. But the Father is always looking for me with outstretched arms to receive me back. And to whisper again in my ear, you are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. When we stand. You know, I think there, there are a few groups of people here this morning. You now, the first, first group I want to talk to are people who have never enter, entered into a relationship with a father, you've never given your life over to the Lord. And when I talk about that inheritance that we get to receive, there's something in you that just that sparked, and you said, I want that. I want a connection with God. I want those core longings in my, in my, my soul to be fulfilled. And so uh, I want to invite you guys this morning to, to enter into a relationship with God. It's easy. You just have to say, I'm going to follow you. So why don't we do this? Why don't we bow our heads and pray? And if you want to enter in a relationship with God for the first time, I want you to pray this with me. Say, Lord, um, I know I've missed the mark. I know I've blown it. And I just, I want your forgiveness. And I want to follow you. So come, um, and, and 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 be in relationship with me. And come and fill those longings in my heart, Lord. And with all heads bowed, if you've said that prayer, can you just raise your hand? If you said that prayer this morning, just raise your hand. I see you. Anyone else? Bless you guys. When you raise your heads? So for our remaining time, I want to give us an opportunity. All of us, if we're honest, would say that we have been looking to fill those core longings somewhere else in our life. And for some of us, it's because we're believing lies that maybe our parents told us. That you are this and you are that. And we've just lived under this this label of, of something that's not from God. And God wants to come and heal us of those labels. And for other of us, we, we, we've seen that you've turned to your career to give you purpose or security or, or you're so focused on, on money and ambition. And for others, we, we're so focused on our family and we're looking to our family to give us something that, that they were never designed to give us. And probably for all us, all of us, it's 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 somewhere. We're doing it somewhere. And what I want to do is get, invite you guys to come up to the to, to the front and just repent of it and turn away from it and say, "Okay, I'm done with that. I'm I'm going back to you, Jesus." So we're gonna sing one more song, but I want to invite you guys up to just um, come and receive prayer. And also, if there's any, if you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer for healing, uh, if you need direction in your life, whatever it is, come up and get prayer. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. So, why don't you start making your way up to the front? Don't be shy.
1: When the music fades, all is stripped away. And I simply come. Let's, let's
0: be courageous, guys. Let's let's be honest with where we are. Let's come to the
1: I front. Mean just to bring something that's of worth. That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself it's not what you have required you need
0: some people to just come pray just lay a hand on their shoulders
1: you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart to the heart of worship and it's all about you.
0: Another prayer up here. It's
1: all about i yeah.
0: Yes, so Lord, we just come before your throne right now. And we just say we've put so many things on the throne of our life. We've looked at so many things to give us meaning, to give us significance, and we just come back before you now and say, you are the, you are the thing that deserves the throne. You are, you are the Lord of all praise you, Jesus. And Lord, we we just repent of of trading our inheritance for for such insignificant things. Lord, we just come back to you and say we love you. Lord, I just pray that you come and speak to those places in our heart. Tell us that we are your sons and daughters. Tell us who we are. Show us our purpose, what you have for us. We say we love you, Jesus. Amen. Well, as you guys leave, I just want to encourage you to to sign up for the equipped class and for the creative community and for the Vineyard Institute um, to get more information about it. But most of all, I just want to challenge you guys uh, to just get involved with the children's ministry. Uh, there's been almost nothing that's been as significant in my life than volunteering with the kids. So bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.